like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And we are back with Robert W. Sullivan IV talking about uh, symbolism, occult symbolism in the movies. And uh, we're going to focus on one type of uh, cinema symbolism, and that is occult casting. Um, so just get, kind of give us a, a an example. Um, I think there's a, there's a good one with, um, before we get into The Shining and so forth, but there's another, there's another example uh, with the, the actor that, uh, Sir Alec Guinness, uh, who co- of course was Obi-Wan Kenobi in, uh, in Star Wars. There's another, I think we've talked about um, his casting in another movie that was, I guess, supposed to evoke memories of, of Star Wars or something like that. No, it's uh, the one you're talking about is Max von Sydow. Ah, okay. Sorry. <laughs> that, that's okay. This, this, well, this is this is a good example. There, there's there's many, but we can start with this one. This was when um, in 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 the one in Star Wars Episode Seven, uh, when 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 the movie opens on the on the desert planet, uh, and and this is where Kylo Ren is coming for the relic uh, that the Max von Sydow character has. He passes it on to the Poe character, and then and then they confront. Uh, von Cito confronts Kylo Ren, and he gets ultimately gets killed, um, and and it begs the question, and and this is you know it's like what why why can't, why are you casting Max von Cito to be in this movie for literally what is probably less than five minutes of screen time when any numbers of actors could have could have played this part, um, and 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 when I was watching it, there was just something it was like a splinter in my head that just wasn't sitting right, and it wasn't necessarily sinister or anything, but it just 
stirred this curiosity. I, I kind of felt like I'd seen this all before. And sure enough, and this is kind of what I'm talking about when I say I call it casting, the use of an actor or actress to sort of plant something in your subconscious mind. Um, the, 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 the placing of Von Cito in, in the Star Wars Episode Seven is designed to implant in your subconscious mind two other movies that Von Cito was in, and they're The Exorcist and Dune. And what I mean is this, when... when um, when when the character in the Star Wars movie again, Episode Seven, The Force Awakens, um, comes out and con- confronts Kylo Ren and gets struck down, um, I mean it, it brings to mind you know what other Max von Sydow movie opens on the, in the desert and he stands and stands up to a dark evil figure, and of course the first one is The Exorcist where you know he he starts out von Sydow plays the Jesuit priest um, in the deserts of Iraq and then he finds the statue of Pazuzu. Um, and he confronts it, and of course, that's the opening scene. Um, and then there's another one, which is Dune, uh, where Von Cito is, of course, on Arrakis, which is the desert planet, and does he stand up to a dark, evil figure? And of course, yes, it is. It's Baron Harkonnen, and in that movie, he gets struck down right away. Um, so why do this? You know, why, why place Von Cito in, in, in Star Wars? Well, the idea is, and the way this works is, by putting Von Cito at the beginning of that movie, um, it's transferring the exorcist and Dune to your subconscious mind. It's not done consciously. It's done very surreptitiously. Um, and what it does is it invests Kylo Ren and the First Order with sort of the, the, the diabolical scheme, the evilness, as it were, of Pazuzu the Demon and Baron Harkonnen. Um, and and, that, and that's, that's what I mean by occult casting. It's... Ah. That's for real movie fans, though. I mean, that's the, the the director did that almost just for people like you who are who are real cinephiles who can who can do that cross reference and say, you know, say, oh, wait a minute, Max von Sydow was in in Dune and he was in this movie. That's why he's doing it. It's almost like they put that Easter egg in there just for you. Yeah, it, it's it's an Easter egg, and it's very hard to pick up one. But it 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 it's it's also I can see it. So I mean, I can point it out. But if you're watching the movie, again, what, what a lot of these guys, what these directors like to do is tweak with your subconscious mind by using archetypes, archetypal imagery in this case. Um, so it, you, it's almost one of those things where it, it affects the movie goer, but they're not aware of it. Um, uh-huh. that's, that's sort of the level these guys are working on. I'm a, I, I know to look for it. Um, so I can kind of spot it. And like I said, when I first started doing this, the, ver- the very first... Um, movie I noticed this with was the sequel to The Matrix. I believe it was called um, Matrix uh, Reloaded, maybe it was. Um, and it was the use of Anthony Zerbe, um, the actor in it. Um, and and, and, and the, in the, the sequel to The Matrix, the use of Zerbe was cross-referencing Omega Man with Charlton Heston because Zerbe gives a speech in The Matrix movie, which is exactly the same as the one he gives in Omega Man, only reversed. It's, everything is backwards. Um, and if and, and if you're familiar with Matrix and you're familiar with my research, those movies are are, are Gnostic cinema. Um, that's the Valentinian strain. Um, and when you're dealing with Gnosticism, you're dealing with a lot of the reversal of Orthodox Christianity. Um, so the fact that they would use Zerbi to and reverse everything isn't surprising. That's the first movie I noticed it with. And again, when you're dealing with adroit filmmakers, uh, you know you you can see it. And 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 like I said, the Von Cito example in, in Star Wars is just a classic example of this. And as I was telling you, I think the last time we talked, I was rewatching watching uh, uh, all the James Bond movies, and I actually discovered um, some anomalies in there as well. And, of course, there's really a great one in The Shining, 
um, that that's just uncanny that I just actually discovered within the last week. Um, that's fantastic. All right. Well, uh, let's get into the shining. But before that, I just wanted to mention a, another um, example. Uh, you mentioned Max von Sydow in Star Wars Seven, and he's confronting evil, and that's a callback, I guess, to uh, the Exorcist. But the other the other one example would be Max von Sydow as Jesus in the greatest story ever told. Isn't he in the desert confronting the devil? Um, you know, the temptation in the wilderness? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's another great example of it. I mean, you can look at it like that. Um, in, 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 in the Star Wars, in, in the Star Wars uh, movie, though, what I would say is, if you watch the character very closely, he's a hermit. Um, he's, her- he's a hermit living alone. Um, and when you, when you watch, in my mind, when you watch The Exorcist and Dune, it seems to invoke those more because the character is more in line um, with a hermit than he is of a Christ-like figure, like a savior figure. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's very narrow. I'm probably splitting hairs a little bit, but certainly, um, what you're saying is, you know, you could certainly draw that comparison also. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, so now we're going to talk about uh, The Shining, uh, 1980 Stanley Kubrick adaptation of um, um, Stephen King's uh, book of the same name. Right. Taking place at the Overlook Hotel in um, in uh, Colorado, uh, Jack Nicholson, of course, that classic role as uh, Jack Torrance and Shelley Duvall, uh, Scatman Crothers. Um, so there is uh, an example of occult casting in The Shining. Right. Um, the the one thing that's really unique with The Shining, and certainly we've talked about this before, is the whole thing with Kubrick exposing the moon landing. Uh, through the use of the little boy, um, the Apollo 11 sweatshirt, the room 237, which is the distance from Earth to the moon. Um, and, of course, the idea with this is that Kubrick actually, you know, filmed the footage of these guys hopping around in, in some sort of secret, you know, government soundstage somewhere. Um, you know, and, and, and Kubrick, Kubrick is tipping off people um, to this in The Shining. Um, and, or he's just pl- he's playing around with it because he knows that people think that he was responsible for faking the moon landing, and so maybe he's just kind of having some fun with it. Well, well, the idea is that he actually filmed it, and and again, the the this is not far fetched. Um, Kubrick Kubrick used in the film that he came out prior to The Shining was uh, Barry Lyndon, and he actually used NASA technology to film that movie. Um, so so. Kubrick worked hand-in-hand with NASA and the government. Um, so the idea that he, he staged this is not, is not that far-fetched, especially when you know that Linden, Barry Lyndon was made with NASA, NASA lenses, NASA, NASA cinema lenses, uh, camera lenses. Um, uh, okay. And, of course, if you watch The Shining, the whole thing with the little boy with the Apollo 11 you know, sweatshirt, sweater, when he stands up, goes through 237. The distance from the Earth to the moon was 237,000 miles. So the, 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 the question begs, is, is there anything else in there that Kubrick is sort of tipping you off to that he could have filmed, staged this moon landing? They may have went. I mean, the theory is they could have gone to the moon, but they couldn't film there. So they hired Kubrick, based on Strange Love in 2001, to you know, film this footage in a top-secret government lab somewhere, soundstage. Um, right, as an insurance policy, so that they could prove to the world that they did go there, even though they did go there. Correct. They couldn't film yeah. on the moon, is the theory. They just couldn't right, film right. There. So they had That makes Kubrick, sense. Right, they had Kubrick stage this. So the, the question then becomes, is there any other movie that came out recently, prior to The Shining, that actually depicts them faking the moon landing in a top-secret government soundstage? And the answer is yes. Um, in 1971, the James Bond movie, uh, Diamonds Are Forever, is released. And if you're familiar with that film, this is the last of the Sean Connery James Bond movies. This was the last time he played in a canical James Bond movie, played, last time he played 007. He breaks into a top-secret government facility in the Nevada desert, which is obviously supposed to be Area 51, and he's walking around. And, of course, he gets found out, so a chase ensues, and he actually winds up inside a soundstage where they're faking the moon landing. They're, they're <laughs> filming the moon landing. I'd forgotten um, about that. Yeah, and, and, and he escapes in a fake lunar vehicle. You know, they got the astronauts hopping around and taking the soil samples, and they're, they're filming the fake moon landing. So then the question becomes, okay, does, does Stanley Kubrick in The Shining reference James Bond anywhere um, as sort of like an homage to Diamonds Are Forever, you know, and to tip you off that he don't take the moon landing? Is there a James Bond reference in The Shining anywhere? Um, and the, the answer to the question is, yeah, uh, there's the biggest one of all. 
and that is, um, and, and this will fall through the cracks, is most people, and myself included, and recently, if you had asked someone who is the first actor to play James Bond, uh, your answer would have immediately gone to Sean Connery in Dr. No. This, or David Niven, perhaps no, David totally Niven. false. Um, mm. The first actor to play James Bond, uh, believe it or not, is none other than Barry Nelson, who played it in 1954 in a TV made-for-movie uh, on a TV show called Climax, where they actually put on a live performance of Casino Royale, which is Ian Fleming's first novel. Who's Barry Nelson? Well, of course, if you're familiar with The Shining, Barry Nelson is Stuart Ullman, uh, the guy who hires Jack Torrance at the near the beginning of the movie. Oh, the, so, the manager of the Overlook Hotel. Yeah, it's James Bond. Um, oh, wow. The, the manager of the Overlook Hotel is the first actor to play James Bond. Um, so Kubrick actually places James Bond in the movie uh, by hiring Barry Nelson. Um, and Nelson's hiring is, is a direct reference, is, is, is subconsciously telling your mind uh, that, you know, he is employing James Bond to lease the Overlook Hotel to rent it out, to hire Jack Torrance as the caretaker. And by employing James Bond himself, um, I find it to be a completely under-the-table homage to Diamonds Are Forever. Um, and Kubrick is again sort of suggesting that he is the guy who faked the uh, moon landing footage. And I, I found that fascinating. I had no idea about that. I just discovered that, Richard, in the last week. Barry uh, ah. Nelson, uh, Stuart Ullman, is the first actor to play 007. Uh, it was not Sean Connery. It would have been too obvious if he, if he hired Sean Connery to play. Of course, um, yeah, to yeah, play, uh, way, Ullman, right? Obvious. But I mean, I just I just found that fascinating. I couldn't believe it when I found that out. Yeah, it was Barry Nelson was the first actor to play James Bond in a TV production of Climax uh, from 1954. So, um, I guess you could see the you could view The Shining as a, a kind of Stanley Kubrick's confession. Yeah, I, th I think that's I think that's a fair way to put it. I think when you look at the evidence of it, with the little boy with the Apollo Eleven, and then you have Diamonds Are Forever in 1971, The Shining just a few years later. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think the evidence definitely, as a lawyer, definitely begins to tip the scales without question in favor that yeah, Kubrick definitely uh, must have had a hand in this. And then again, the real smoking gun on all this, which a lot of people aren't aware of, is the movie that he made before The Shining, which was Barry Lyndon. Um, which, you know, he filmed with NASA lenses. Um, you know, the, the, the camera equipment all came from NASA, so he clearly had a working uh, relationship with them. I ju I'll just add real quick, the reason, the reason he needed NASA technology for Barry Lyndon, it's set during the Napoleonic era, and he wanted to film scenes, scenes exclusively lit by candlelight, which you, you can't do. Um, they're too dark. Um, if you ever watch a movie in the 40s and 50s or even 60s, whenever there's a scene set by exclusive candlelight, you can see the, the, can, you know, the lighting coming from the side. It, they're just too dark. NASA had developed lenses that were way ahead of their time that allowed you to do that, that, that you know, fractured the light and you know, enhanced the candlelight. So Kubrick found this out and went to NASA and got these cameras, got these specific lenses that he used to film these scenes strictly lit by candlelight in Barry Lyndon. Um, and again, that's sort of the real smoking gun on this is it proves this relationship, the symbiotic relationship between Kubrick and NASA. And when you couple that with what's going on in The Shining, and certainly you know, now you can add in Barry Nelson as a 
James Bond diamonds are forever reference. Uh, you know, James Bond himself. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the scales are definitely tilted uh, in, in in the uh, to the idea that Kubrick had a hand in this. Robert W. Sullivan the Fourth, Cinema Symbolism, Volumes One through Three. Uh, are you working on Volume Four? Yes, I am. That is actually uh, being worked on as I speak, and that is coming along very, very well. How how often do you have to watch a movie uh, until you start to make all of these connections and and determine? Okay, this is the occult theme here, uh, uh, the um, the occult casting, and so forth. How often do you have to watch the film? Oh, more than once. Um, usually, when I watch a movie for the first time, um, it's usually just done for entertainment value, unless it becomes very, very obvious to me that there are things just leaping off the screen, the flat screen at me. Um, but no, I, I, more than one time, and even on multiple occasions, uh, I'll miss something. Um, there are movies to this day uh, that if I sit down and watch them, despite the fact of having watched them countless times in the past, I'm, I'm, I'm inevitably going to pick up on something new. Um, you know, I think of a movie like Black Swan, um, I, the, the one that I, I, I've watched repeatedly that's just over, overloaded with stuff is uh, uh, the last Halloween movie, Halloween Ends. That's got lots of stuff going on in it. That's uh, what I would describe as if, Hall- if a Halloween movie was made by David Lynch, that's what it would look like um, because that thing really tweaks with reality and what's happening and what's happening on the screen. And is Michael Myers even there? Um, lots going on in that movie. Um, uh, like I said to you, I just I just went back and rewatched all the James Bond movies from start to finish. Um, lots going on in those. The one that I just picked up on was the one I just mentioned, but there's another one um, from 1975, The Man with the Golden Gun. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.